word that he does, it is really encouraging. Uh, it, is a, it is a real blessing. Um, now, last week, I, I talked about the movie Back to the Future, Marty McFly. And I got thinking this week, what if there really was a DeLorean somewhere that you could get into and you could program in a date and you could go back in time? Would you do it? And where would you go? Or maybe when would you go? Personally, I'd do it. But I wouldn't want to go back and visit something that was a disaster. I I wouldn't want to go back, as Robbie said, and find myself on the, the Titanic. Or I wouldn't want to go back and find myself at Custer's Last Stand. I'd want to go back to something that's historic. I'd want to witness that. But I'd want it to be joyful. And I'd want it to be exciting. This morning, I want us to go back in our minds to Jerusalem, 33 A.D., back to that weekend, that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, when Jesus was crucified and then risen. Friday, of course, was a really bad day. In fact, for followers of Jesus, it was the worst day. Crucifixions, sealed tombs, they have a way of sort of squashing all hope, don't they? And for followers of Jesus, they were upset. They were crushed. They were depressed. And by the time Sunday rolls around, things aren't really much better, it seems. Now, there's a lot of rumors swirling around Jerusalem. Somebody is reporting that the soldiers are no longer standing guard at Jesus' tomb. Someone heard that the stone was rolled away. In fact, some people are actually claiming that the body's not there anymore. Has someone stolen Jesus' body? No one's quite sure. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We're going to stay right in Luke chapter 24 this morning. We're going to take a look at a couple of Jesus' followers on a Sunday afternoon. Two men who are traveling from Jerusalem, where everything has just happened, to a little town called Emmaus which is about seven miles away. And while these two men are walking, they are talking about everything that has happened in Jerusalem the past weekend. They're trying to make some sense of it all. And I'm going to pick up the narrative in verse 15 of Luke 24. Again, the text this morning, Luke 24 in verse 15. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, these things being the crucifixion of Jesus, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Now, I think this would be a little bit awkward for Jesus. You know, to have come up on people that are talking and find out that they're talking about you. And maybe that's happened to you before. Have you ever entered a room and there's a lot of people there and maybe they have their backs to you or maybe they're not really paying much attention and you pretty quickly realize, hey, they're talking about me. And you're sort of struggling about how to handle that. You know, should you acknowledge that you're here? But then in some side of you, it wants to kind of stay quiet and listen to what they're saying about you, right? Especially if they're talking about your death, which is what these two men were talking about. I think it was Mark Twain who said the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated, but that's not the case here. Yeah, there's a lot of rumors around Jerusalem, but this is a fact. Jesus was dead when they took him from the cross. When they put his body in a tomb, it was lifeless. When that tomb was sealed, Jesus was dead. Look at the next verse. 
Jesus himself came up and walked along with him, verse 16, Luke 24, but they were kept from recognizing him. For some reason, these two men don't recognize that it's Jesus with them. And apparently God has something to do in this, but they don't see that it's Jesus. But I think maybe there's even more going on than just God keeping that information from them. I think maybe their disappointment had something to do with it. He asked them in verse 17, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still. Luke says they stopped in their tracks. Their faces downcast. Their faces were downcast. You know, when our eyes are are down, when we're not looking up, there's a lot of things that we miss. Our vision gets blurry when our hope gets buried. And I think that's a little bit of what's going on with these two men. You ever been there? Have you ever been in a situation where you can't really see what's going on around you, what's right in front of you just because you're so hurt and there's so much pain and there's so much heartache? You're not even aware of what's going on around you. Our vision gets blurred when our hope gets buried. Verse 18, one of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? And I love Jesus' reaction to their question. Verse 19, he says, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And then these two men begin telling Jesus of Nazareth about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. Now the Bible tells us that these two men were downcast. But one thing is for sure. The events of this past weekend there in Jerusalem certainly proved to them that things don't always turn out like you expect them to turn out. And you can think of plenty of times in your own life when things didn't turn out like you had expected them to turn out. Life is just rolling along. Everything is great, and then in an instant, the wheels come off, and what was hopeful suddenly becomes hopeless. Look what these two men uh, uh, tell Jesus. Verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They are hoping for a military takeover. Jesus has always been about a a spiritual revolution. And so they tell Jesus, we had hoped. We had hoped that he was going to be the one. And again, we can all relate to that feeling, can't we? I had hoped that that relationship was going to go somewhere. I had hoped that our marriage was going to get back on track. I had hoped that my children were going to do the right thing. I had hoped that investment was going to work out. I had hoped that that promotion was going to go to me. I had hoped that the doctor would have good news. Life doesn't always turn out like we hope, and yet God's in control. This conversation is about to take a drastic turn. The end of verse 21. I'm still in Luke chapter 24. 
This is the two men speaking to Jesus. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. This is pretty important information, don't you think? This is pretty amazing information. These two men who are so downcast are telling Jesus, who they don't know it's Jesus, but they're telling him, our women were there and they saw angels who said he was alive. This is great news, and yet it appears that these two men aren't really cheered up by this news. It appears that they're not really buying into this report. And I know what you women are thinking out there. Well, nothing's changed in 2,000 years. You men never listen to us. And um, guilty is charged. And I think these two men are guilty as charged. But finally, Jesus is about to speak up. Jesus is about to enter this conversation. Verse 25, he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. This is a very pivotal point of this narrative. Jesus knows these men are upset. He knows they're disappointed. He knows they're depressed. He knows they're afraid. So what does he do? He does exactly what you parents will do when your children come to you and they're afraid and they're upset. Jesus tells them a story. But this isn't just any story that Jesus tells. He's going to tell them God's story. Specifically, he's going to tell them God's story of redemption. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, we're not told exactly what Jesus shared with these men. We do know that he went back to Moses. Maybe he reminded them of Moses leading God's people out of bondage. And as soon as they left Egypt, Pharaoh changes his mind and goes after them. And Pharaoh's army is coming up behind the children of Israel and the Red Sea's in front of the children of Israel and they're decided it is over. Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? There was enough graves back there. We're out of options. And maybe Jesus reminded those two men they weren't out of options. That God was in control and God had a plan. And God came through. Maybe Jesus took them to the Psalms. All of those beautiful writings that, that sort of acknowledge that life is hard. And life can be difficult. But also remind us that God is in control. And all those things that sometimes we see as defeat and failure are just opportunities to God, for God to act in ways that are sovereign and powerful. We're told Jesus took them to the prophets. Maybe he mentioned some of those messianic prophecies concerning the Christ. That he would be betrayed by a friend. That he'd be sold out for 20 pieces, 30 pieces of silver. 
Maybe Jesus took those men to Psalm 22, a psalm written by David about a crucifixion from the vantage point of the person who is being crucified, where David tells the, 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 the listeners that his clothes were gambled for, that his feet and his hands were pierced. Even though David wrote Psalm 22 hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth, even though David wrote Psalm 22 decades before crucifixion became a public form of execution. Maybe he took those two men to Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus shares with these two men God's story of redemption, and he kind of reminds them, hey, guys, God's still on his throne. I know things look very dark right now. I know you're really confused right now. I know things aren't turning out like you thought they would turn out, but God is still on his throne. And I think Jesus is begging us, as well as these two men, to remember God is still on his throne. God is still in control. Confusion, fear, doubt, those never have the last words to any, any story that God writes. Your story that intersects with Jesus, your God's story, it's not over yet. If you're listening to me, if you're watching this, your story is not finished. You know, it's like the old saying that don't let Satan or anyone else put a period where God places a comma. God is on this throne. God is in control. There is another chapter. The story isn't over. But these two men who are walking with Jesus, they still don't realize that it's Jesus that they're with. But they're about to. Take a look at verse 28. Still in Luke chapter 24, verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going to go farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Let me share a, a quick takeaway from this passage. Just stick it in your back pocket for later. Just use it when you need it. But here's the takeaway. When you invite Jesus in, he will always say yes. Anytime you invite Jesus in, He'll say yes. These two men invited Jesus into their home, invited Jesus to stay. He stayed. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Okay, there it is. After this entire afternoon spent with Jesus, walking some part of seven miles probably a couple hours, after Jesus shares with them a lot of the Old Testament, a lot of scriptures, finally, they see who they've been with. Finally, they're able to see what they hadn't seen before. What happened? What changed? I heard a story about David Copperfield, the famous illusionist, who was performing at a packed house one night, and he performed this amazing illusion that just blew everyone's minds, and the applause was thunderous. And when the applause finally died down, a woman from the balcony shouted, Tell us how you did that! 
And David Copperfield sort of laughed and yelled back, Ma'am, I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. She immediately yelled back down, Well, then tell my husband. How did he do that? How did Jesus do that? How did it happen that now finally they see what they hadn't seen before? What changed? What was different? You know, scholars have debated this. What was it that caused those men to be able to see Jesus? Some people say that, well, it's because when he prayed, he entered into worship. That the conversation and the journey had been, you know, just a conversation, but when he prayed, it was worship, and then their eyes were opened. Some people claim, no, it was because of the prayer. You know, Jesus prayed for the food that they were about to eat. No one prayed like Jesus. And as soon as Jesus started to pray, these two men had to have realized, wow, that's Jesus. Maybe. You know, most people believe that, that God certainly had a hand in it, that God miraculously kept those men from uh, recognizing Jesus, and then God allowed them to recognize Jesus. I'm not sure. But I wonder if maybe there's something else going on here. I wonder if it's possible that something else is going on here. The text says that he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Jesus takes bread. He gives thanks for it. He breaks it and begins to give it to them. Maybe what opened their eyes were fresh wounds. Maybe when Jesus extended that bread, they saw the wound in his hand. They saw where the nail was driven through and where that uh, nail was pulled back out. Maybe that's what allowed them to finally realize who was with them. And while I'm thinking out loud here, I wonder what Jesus said to them. Now the text says he disappeared. Maybe he didn't say a word. But when that light of recognition went on in their mind, I wonder what the look was that Jesus gave those two men. Because I've got to believe that it was a smile and kind of one of those looks that said, guys, I've been here the whole time. I've been here the whole time. I've been with you all this time. See, I think we need to be reminded he's been here the whole time. Even when we don't feel like he's anywhere close, even when we feel like the story is over, even when we feel like we are so depressed, we are so defeated, there is no option. Jesus wants us to know, guys, I've been here the whole time. He's still here. He's here now, right here. And maybe like those two men on the road to Emmaus, we need to be reminded of God's story of redemption. We need to be reminded of Moses and David and Isaiah and the prophets, all they said about the Messiah. And we need to be reminded that no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter how far off the path we might have drifted, no matter what kind of shame we are, might uh, be carrying with us, He's right here. He's right here and the invitation remains. Jesus canceled our debt. He blotted out our sin that Friday on a cross. And then on Sunday, he walked out of the grave. 
And the promise of Scripture is if we trust in Him, if we believe in Him, if we obey Him, then we'll be united with Him. You know, I started this thing by having Robbie share with you a poem. I want to end by sharing a couple poems with you that were written by you. Now, I had so many responses that I, uh, I posted these on our Bay Area Church of Christ uh, public webpage, uh, Facebook page, I should say. You can go on the Facebook page and read them all. But I want to share with you specifically the poems that were sent in to me from our kids. These are from our Faith Lane students. These are from our kids. I want you to listen. This is from Adeline, age eight. God's here. God cares. God hears. What a great thought. What a great poem. Thanks, Adeline. This is from Eden, age five. Eden's dad told me that he had to write it out because she didn't spell so well, but these are her words. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Three days later, he rose again. He left for heaven so that he could make a place for you and me. That's the gospel, isn't it? Eden just shared with us the message of the gospel. This is from Grayson, age eight. If, you, if you're familiar with the family at Bay Area, you might not know who Grayson is. Grayson has been listening to every one of our live casts uh, from Nashville, Tennessee. She's my granddaughter. Grayson shared with me an acrostic using the letters from Resurrection. Here's what Grayson wrote. R, rising from dark delight. E, encouraged to take a step toward heaven. S, stepping into God's light. U, urging me to do the next right thing. R, repenting from sin. R, racing toward God. C, E, <laughs> excited to serve God. C, courage to trust God. T, time to follow God. I, inviting us to be rescued. O, offering to open your heart. N, needing faith. Resurrection. Way to go, Grayson. And this is from Micah, age six. Jesus was on the cross. He prayed to the Lord. And three days passed. Mary came to check on Jesus and to put oil on him. He wasn't there. He was resurrected. He forgave our sins. Micah, that is great. And then finally, this from Samira. Samira's 10. Jesus died, he came to save. And up his throne and power he gave. Down he came to mortal earth and was brought to Mary and Joseph in birth. He stayed here for about 33 years, and when he came, he ceased all tears. But then he was crucified. On the cross, he lived to die. They placed a thorn crown on his head. And in the morning, he was dead. Three days passed, and he rose again, forgiving all our sins. He left, and he will come again. Thanks, kids. To write is to think. To write about God is to think about God. Thank you, parents. 
You're doing an awesome job with your kids. Let's finish this story. Luke chapter 24, verse 33. Those poems were great. <laughs> they were great. Luke 24, 33. They, the two men, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. So they're leaving Emmaus after realizing they're with Jesus. They're headed back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Final question for this morning. On the road between Jerusalem and Emmaus, which direction are you headed? On that road between Jerusalem and Emmaus, which direction are you walking? Those two men who left from Jerusalem walking toward Emmaus, they were downcast. They were depressed. They were upset. They had lost all hope. We had hoped that he was going to be the one. As they walked from Jerusalem to Emmaus, they were walking back to life as they'd always known it. Same old rut, same old routine, same old, same old, and they're not very excited about it. They were walking back to a life that had been the life that they'd always known, walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Their hope had vanished. Maybe that's the direction you're walking today. Maybe today you're walking kind of from Jerusalem to Emmaus. You're downcast. Life has been disappointing, a little bit depressing. And all those things that you had hoped for, it hadn't worked out that way. Maybe you're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, just hoping that something would get better, that things would be different, that somehow my life would change and have meaning. Or maybe you're walking from Emmaus back to Jerusalem. Think about these two men. They leave Emmaus and they hurry back to Jerusalem, same road, same journey, same trees, same uh, creeks, same rocks, same twists and turns. But it's not the same trip, is it? Because they're not the same men. Something had happened. Something changed those men. On the way back to Jerusalem, they, now, they found a new hope. They, they found a new focus, a new purpose in life. They've got a story to tell. They've got a joy to share. Why? Because they had an encounter with Jesus. They had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And when they finally get back to Jerusalem, they're so excited, they find the other uh, followers of Jesus, and what they tell each other is, it's true. The Lord has risen. And these two men jump in with their story of their encounter with Jesus. It's true. The Lord has risen. This morning, Easter Sunday, which direction are you walking? Are you walking towards just life as you've always known it? Are you walking towards just despair or maybe resignation? This is as good as it's going to get. I'll make the best of it. Or are you walking toward hope? Are you walking to a renewed focus? 
Are you walking toward joy and amazement? That's what those followers of Jesus were experiencing. Joy and amazement. Why? Because it's true. The Lord has risen. Let's pray together. Father, on this Resurrection Sunday, may we be reminded of your wonderful story of redemption, your plan, going back to the beginning of time to to claim us, to redeem us, to save us. Father, that gift you gave came at the highest price imaginable, the death of your son. His sacrifice on the cross paid the debt that we could never begin to pay. So thank you for his sacrifice and thank you for the forgiveness of sins that it brings. And Father, thank you that our story's not over yet. The end has not yet been written. And your invitation to forgiveness and inclusion is still on the table. And it'll stay on the table because of what happened on that Friday and because of what you did on that Sunday morning. Help us to live with peace and hope Help us to live with joy and amazement because it's true. The Lord has risen. It's in our risen Savior's name I pray. Amen. Our praise team is going to lead us in another song and then I'm going to come back and share some uh, updates.